Music, news, entertainment, it's all right here. This is The Kelly Alexander Show. Hey, it's Kelly, and we have got a jam-packed show for you as we speak to comedian and actor London Brown, who features on the hit HBO series Ballers with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. We also speak to our music editor, Sharon Hyland, about posthumous music, and welcome rising pop singer Gabriela Geneva, who was born in Bulgaria but has lived in both England and Canada. And of course, we have some new music for you from Mariah Carey, Lady Gaga, and Jonas Blue. But first, it's time to hear from London Brown, who spent some time with us when he was in Montreal doing some promotional work. The Kelly Alexander Show. We are very excited to welcome to The Kelly Alexander Show comedian, actor, and basically everything else, London Brown. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you so much for even just speaking to me. Thank you. I love your style. You know what? I just kind of, you know, put... No, I'd be lying. <laughs> if I said I threw this together... Actually, I did. Okay. But I try to be aware of what I got on because I don't want to look crazy. You, you know. look very put together, which I appreciate. Oh, I thank appreciate you. when guys make sure that they're put together. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So I'm so happy to have you on the, on the show. Um, I've been doing all kinds of research. First of all, I love that you are on Ballers and fourth season is coming out, which is yeah, crazy. So is. for people that don't know, can you tell us how you actually landed the role and, and that the fact that you're on four seasons later? It's amazing. Well, um, so the process started, I was at the time working as a choreographer and it was my brokest year, 2014. And I remember at one point that year I had $28 in my check-ins account and um, I didn't have any representation. Okay. So I got a call from a comedian, uh, veteran, writer. He says, yo, have you auditioned for Ballers yet? I said, no, I hadn't heard of it. He said, well, they're looking for you. I go in, um, and I was really hoarse because I had been teaching dance that week for okay. some project, and I was really, 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 really hoarse. And I went in, and I was so hoarse, I told him, I said, yo, if, I'm, if you can't understand me, please let me come back and read again. But they said, no, we got it. And then uh, that started the process of callback after callback. And two months later, they said, yo, do you have any obligations in L.A.? I said, no, uh, no kids. And I said, no, no, nothing. So I just packed up, um, which was probably some hats and some clothes. Because my clothes were at my mother's house. Uh, I was on friends' couches and whatnot. And uh, I packed my stuff. And then I went out to live in Miami and, and film ballers. And um, the cool thing about the story is that I... Initially, of course, obviously, the character name is Fat Reggie. Mm -hmm. I'm not fat. Not at all. Um, You're Slim Reggie. Yes, <laughs> right? And then also, he was only supposed to show maybe like a couple episodes. And after the audition process, I think they enjoyed uh, what I could bring to Reggie. And they decided to make him a lead. And then we developed Reggie as we went along. That is fantastic. So. Now, talk to us about, first of all, getting into comedy. I'm going to come back to Ballers in a second, but I wanted to know, like, you're talking about being a choreographer, which I didn't know, so I'm excited to know about this, because oh. I love the dance. I'm a huge Janet Jackson fan. Mm, right, right. So, <laughs> she's my girl. Uh, so how did you get into dance and then comedy? Like, how did that all happen? Well, black people dance anyway. <laughs> it's true. Uh, if the food is good, we'll, we'll, we will dance. <laughs> um, but what happened was I went away to school, and then there was a guy that was um, the captain of the dance team. He said, yo... Um, this is actually what he told me because he was gay. He says to me, he says, yo, I need some guys dancing. I was like, eh, I don't really want to dance. He says, well, listen, I'm gay, but you're straight and I have only girls on the squad. So you could have them. So I was like, oh, all right, then cool. So me and I, one of my other straight guy friends, we danced and that's, that's how I got going. And then from there, I got asked to choreograph a few different projects and teach classes. And um, that's how I was paying bills. I was also working in after-school programs. 
and that was just my life, just dancing and being an artist, I guess, just a, a grinding artist. And um, so while I was also teaching dance, mm-hmm. I got hired to be an official teacher. And in that process, they had a fundraiser for kids. Okay. They said, yo, we're going to put up a comedy show. And I inquired about it. And the, I think the assistant principal signed me up to do a set. I did a set. And I was like, oh, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. Because I do, and not to be self-aggrandizing, but I do a, a lot of different, or, or a few different artistic things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never felt like those things were my voice. And then when I found stand-up, that was when I was like, oh, this is, this is it. So that's kind of my transition from dance. I still, I mean, I don't dance, dance, but, you know, I still move around right. just for the sake of, because, you know, ideas come to me. Mm-hmm. So, but I'm just so busy with this other stuff that I haven't really sat down to really jump back into it again. But I wanted to. Well, I just came from a Janet Jackson concert a couple of nights ago in Saratoga Springs. How was it? I think you should be up there with her then. Man, they Have you moving. seen her perform? I have seen it. She okay. still got it. She still got it. 52, her, looks like she's 27. 52? 52. Dance is like she's 27 too. Yeah. Well, black people, it's hard to tell her age anyway. They'd be 108, but you can't tell because they skin. I don't know. I didn't know if you're 52. She look, yeah, amazing. That's news to me. I well, I'm here to teach. Yeah. <laughs> so, with the comedy thing, you said now like it's your voice. Um, so, so, you didn't know as a kid then that you might want to get into comedy or no, any of that? I no, I didn't way. really think of I didn't really know. Okay. Um, I think I've always liked comedy. But when you're young, it's just you're just funny, or that's just what it. I wasn't a class clown though. Mm-hmm. But I think I have pretty decent timing. But in high school, once I was doing theater, and I remember doing a play, and the audience was they laughed after I did something, and I was like, oh, it was like by accident. I was like, oh, this is this is very instant. Mm-hmm. And that's when I fell in love with theater. But the transition from theater to stand-up was pretty seamless because ideally, it's like. Oh, Stand-up is like a one-man show. Mm-hmm. So I get all the titillation and gratification of doing a play, but by myself, and I can get it every night. So that was um, some a, a different experience for me that changed um, the course of my life. How would you categorize yourself as a comedian? Like, do you have a style? Are you just being you? Like, how, how, how is um, it? I was recently told that I was a storyteller. And to me, I don't know any other approach to stand-up other than to just simply share my truths and what has happened to me my experiences mm-hmm. and my observations mm-hmm. so from talking about everything from how I'm a very pretty chill guy but I tend to draw really aggressive women um, <laughs> the difference between dating young women older women yeah my family the difference between how white guys dress and black guys dress mm-hmm. an assortment of things you know I just try to touch on uh, everything from that to just my family so that's fantastic yeah. now when you I know because uh, being a radio announcer I'm totally addicted to being on the microphone like I mm. love knowing I'm speaking to people even though I'm in a room by myself right, and I'm right. hoping people are listening so when you're on stage and you're on the microphone what is it about that moment and that like what does it for you is it the crowd reaction is it that you know you killed them like what um, it, it's the attention that I'm commanding from them that kind of control of because to do stand-up, I think people bypass the idea that it does take some sort of articulation mm-hmm. from the comic to be able to captivate a room of people who don't know you, don't care to know you, they've never heard you before. So to try to convey your emotions and your stories to make it relatable to them to the point where they laugh, that's the same rush that 
people like people who bungee jump and jump out of planes mm -hmm. it's the same idea because honestly we don't know if people are going to laugh the only thing that we're banking on at least for me is that i know i've been working out my material all week in the clubs so i'm nervous every night but i'm like well i know i put the work in so i'm able to reside in that but it is something because doing stand-up is like really just a conversation between the audience and myself. Every time they laugh, I speak, they laugh. That is a timing mm -hmm. thing. And so it's always cool when the audience is able to follow me through my emotional up and downs in this, you know, throughout my stories. So I'm always really uh, grateful that they even listen to me. Because of all professions, like no one goes to the mechanic or even to the doctor and really look at the degrees on the wall. They could be certificates from completing culinary arts. We don't really know. But when you do stand-up, people, they sit with, they come with all this resistance, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, prove, and, you know, it's that. So we have to fight through all of that. So when we finally, when we win them over, mm -hmm. usually we have about 15 to 30 seconds in the beginning to just come out with something. But ultimately, if we're doing a 45-minute set, we have that time and the fact that they will, we're able to win them over to where they stand up or whatever it is, you know, now we feel like, yo, work is done. Now talk to us about how you translate from being a stand-up comedian to being like, for example, on set with, uh, with Ballers. Like, is it different parts of you that are pulling to, to be the actor um, guy then? I think that stand-up stand -up helps me as an actor to keep my timing. So that when I get on set, whatever little slick jokes or slick words that I might spew, that Reggie may spew at Spencer, that comes from being a, what I like to call a, just a, a well-oiled machine from stand-up. And um, that kind of timing really works well on a show like this because they let us riff a lot. Um, in season one, they gave me uh, a lot of free range to just kind of say what it is I wanted to say and push the buttons of Dwayne's character. A lot of stuff that wasn't scripted and movements. And I think that, because ideally I'm not the comic relief on the show, mm -hmm. but the laughs I do get, I think, come from me just being a stand-up and being able to find the funny or find things to make them funny that work that's not too much mm -hmm. not over the top but just in a nice rhythm with Rob Cordy's character on the show so um, I, I think they they work together I did want to ask you because I know everybody probably asks you what's it like to work with Dwayne and all that what I actually wanted to ask you about Dwayne was what's the best piece of advice he's either said to you or you've picked up from watching him because like he also came from nothing with seven bucks I think yeah. he's left in his in his wallet when he started um, I think the main thing I got from Dwayne is just to be extremely focused and that was another thing that I got um, I used to tour with Chris Tucker as his opener Chris Tucker used to always tell me uh, London stay focused keep God first and stay humble. Like that was this whole little thing. Stay focused, stay focused. And so I was already in a focused kind of mentality. Mm -hmm. And by the time I met Dwayne, and I started, I was following Dwayne before the show, and I remember he would work out and it was always focused. And, and I just realized that, like we had, if you have a call time mm -hmm. at 5 a.m., Dwayne was in the gym at like three something. And I, I remember watching his Instagram, I was like, man, if he can get up and be on set on time and everything, I said, that's something that I have implemented in my lifestyle is before I hit the set, I hit the gym. And it just can, it gets your mind right mm -hmm. and gets you, like, ready for the day. Because I'm not a gym guy. I gym, like, daily, but I'm not a gym guy. Yeah. But I'm not doing it because I want to do it, but I'm doing it for the mental discipline mm -hmm. of it. Like, before I started working out at the gym, 
I weigh maybe like 160 pounds. And now that I'm in there, you know, five days a week with my protein shakes, mineral bars, I weigh about 160 pounds. Nothing has changed, but it's mental. I it's mental. It. That's why I do it. Because <laughs> I learned it from Dwayne. It's mental. That's what this is about. I love that. So, I want to ask you, I understand a book is on the way or you're working on a book? or what's Yeah, happening? man. I, you know, I just kind of been inspired to to work on a book, something that would actually be on coffee tables or whatnot, just of my photography. Amazing. And this kind of became, I was inspired by this. Um, a lot of my friends would see my photos mm -hmm. and um, I didn't really think much of it. I just enjoyed shooting. And my friends kept saying, yo, man, you ought to do something with these pictures. Because I would go out and I would photograph homeless people. Mm -hmm. um, and people can see that at London Brown Shots. Just to give you a quick rundown on that story, I used to work in after school program. Yep. I would see the kids get rid of all their after school snacks. Mm -hmm. And I didn't like the food being wasted because it was still good. So I began to collect the food and went on to go feed the homeless people uh, in downtown LA. And I just remember how grateful they were just to receive a pear or a, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And so when I would feed them, that would start the dialogue. And I got to really listen and find out who these people were. And not everybody down there is crazy, not everybody's drug addicts. Some people just feeling hard times, mm -hmm. depression, you know, different loss of job, different things. And what I want to do, I want to get well at uh, doing photography. Mm -hmm. But I didn't want to shoot my friends because a lot of pressure. Yeah. <laughs> so true. what I did was I started shooting the homeless people after feeding them and dialoguing with them. And what I realized is that I was able to find some really, really great moments, mm -hmm. really intimate moments with them, with these headshots because they weren't posing. They were just being where they were, where they were sad. Where, and most of them smiled though. Um, interestingly enough, even with those uh, conditions, they were they still found a, a place of peace to even give me that in the lens. Mm -hmm. And you know, um, I've always thought that was quite special and trusting of them to do so. But because of that, I was like, man, maybe, you know, these photos I can put into a book also for people to sit around and to enjoy them, mm -hmm. but also send some of those funds back to homeless people. And, and I don't know whether that means shelter or just feeding them. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes they be grateful just to get uh, some water, you know. So um, I've told myself I wasn't going to waste any more food and that book could go to giving that back, you know, some sort of level. You're a good guy, London. I'm all right. You're all right. I'm all right. Um, before I let you go, I did want to ask uh, what's coming up next, either acting-wise or comedy-wise. Like, where can we see you? Um, right now, they can catch me on the road. Uh, I'm doing some dates across the country, and this is all part of branding, just like sitting down with you. Because mm -hmm. nobody knows I do stand-up. I mean, people are aware of me, but they still don't know me. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm hitting the road just to get my face out there working these clubs, uh, along with working on the book. And there's a project that I, I filmed, an independent project called Asia A. Okay. And I play a paralyzed athlete, spinal cord injury, and it's a um, very serious emotional piece. But it's just good just to show some range, you know, and that's why I think it's cool for Reggie. People know me as Reggie, but they don't know I do stand-up. Yeah. But if they follow me at Real London Brown, then they know, you know, I cook and I share different recipes on my live. Mm -hmm. So right now, my whole mission is to just to introduce myself to the world through these different mediums outlets so well that's and by the way your name london brown is cool so like oh, thank you so i think you were meant to be a star from the moment your mom you know decided what to call I, you that. i'll take it i have a, a sister named paris and another name asia so it is cool that my name is london i mean i could be london 
who worked at a mechanic shop. I mean, that could be a cool name, but it <laughs> does true. work in the field that I'm in. So maybe the stars aligned and this is all what I'm supposed to do. I at least it feels that way. I think it worked. And also, before I let you, I did want to say I love your Denzel Washington impersonation. Oh, you are on it. on it. You are on it. Um, well, thank you. I appreciate <laughs> you even taking time to um, talk to me in, in, in front of the camera and letting everybody know uh, that I'm that I'm here. Okay, boom. <laughs> Follow him uh, on his website, IamLondonBrown.com, and of course, at RealLondonBrown, Real Instagram, Brown. Twitter, all that yes, good stuff. Yes, all that good stuff, please. And, and for anybody who gets to listen to this, um, if you help me along the way, I appreciate it. I don't take it for granted. So thank you. London Brown hanging out on The Kelly Alexander Show. The Kelly Alexander Show. We are happy to bring in our music editor, Sharon Hyland, for a chat this week about posthumous music. We just got word from a guy named David Austin, who was apparently friends and quote-unquote creative partners with George Michael that a new dance album is supposed to be released. Now, nothing has been confirmed, of course, by George's estate, but it sounds like this rumor could be true. And uh, Sharon, this follows in the the steps of other deceased artists like Prince and Michael Jackson and Whitney Houston, and the list goes on and on, uh, who have had some of their unreleased work presented to the public for consumption. So I guess I will start by asking you, are you okay with this notion of releasing a dead artist's work without their permission? Is it without their permission expressly, like they didn't want it released? Was it directed by the artist that, here, you take this and make sure something happens with it? There's a bunch of uh, Well, like with David Bowie, questions. I presume he knew he was going to pass on. Like, I think he knew for a year or two years, right, yeah. that it was happening. So he probably did make arrangements. But like with Prince, I don't know that Prince is of that mindset that he would have been like, when I kick it, like maybe. Well, Prince didn't have a will either. Yeah. So he seemed fairly unprepared. And Michael Jackson, too. Like Michael Jackson was about to go hit the O2 arena for X amount of shows. And I don't think thought he was about to kick it. So I don't know. Like you would think that some of these artists would have been, you know, forward thinking and be like, what am I going to do with my catalog when I'm no longer here? But then I think for a lot of people, especially artists, and maybe I'm you know, making assumptions here, but I don't know that you would want to think about your death. You know, like even, like older people don't like to think about death. Maybe artists don't want to think about when they're gone. Well, either. you know what? I think that uh, wherever you fall in that category, celebrity, music maker, regular Joe, you gotta you gotta know. Mm -hmm. There's mm -hmm. the cliche of there's two things uh, in life that are certain, and that's death and taxes. Right. But do you death think comes first? Do you think either of them made it, made it or any of these people, except well, for maybe David Bowie? Well, whether I think David Bowie did it in the most majestic and magical uh, departure mm -hmm. for an artist because it, just the way it happened, the way the song that was released from that final album and look at me, I'm in heaven. Like, what? What a mind blow that was. So to be that present in uh, in your, you know, prep for exit from this world mm -hmm. uh, is to be commended. Uh, for those that uh, don't think that way, it's, I don't know, like, it, we don't, do we know that they were left instructions to release the music? If that's the case, then go for it. Mm -hmm. uh, if these people are uh, working with it, a loophole, you know, oh, we can, we can, I, but I don't think that there's loopholes that big that you can just take music and release it just because the person's not here anymore. Mm -hmm. I think that they have estates and I think that they have people that if it is not perceived to be in the best interest of the artist that their people who are left will somehow fight it. Right. Like, for example, with George Michael, uh, we already know that his estate is super tight with mm -hmm. regards to all of his stuff. So I don't know. But this person in this interview that I read, um, he sounds pretty certain that this dance album that apparently Michael was working on in 2011 
is going to see the light of day. And I, selfishly, because I love and you love George Michael, I would be very happy to hear it. But then you also worry, like, I think with with maybe with this specific album, it sounds like some of those tracks were finished or almost finished. So Mm -hmm. I think it would be okay. But I know I sent you a link to to read a Prince article. And some of the stuff that they're releasing for Prince was like him noodling around on a piano. And I'm like, I don't know. But he would have released that stuff himself anyways. There was a bunch of Prince stuff that's so specific and to a to a moment in his life that you know people are just want to get their hands on it for sure but i think even when he was alive he released stuff that you know wasn't necessarily mainstream didn't mm-hmm. make the radio let's say mm-hmm. um but that was his thing so maybe people are just wanting to sink their teeth into it and just experience whatever he was working on and we know from his ethic and things that he's uh, spoke about in interviews and stuff like that that he was non-stop working on music right so there are Constantly. bits and pieces and if people want to hear that that's up to them if uh, if someone's been put in charge of releasing it great but if they're trying to get away with something I'm not uh, I'm not interested in supporting that. I just remember Quincy Jones talking also about how he wasn't impressed with that Michael Jackson album uh es- oh, the, yeah, Escape ex- yeah that Escape. one. Yeah that one. Um he's as he was saying he didn't want it released. Right. But someone thought so Let's if someone's cash. left in charge mm-hmm. then they're just they get to go with it. Right. Everybody can have their opinion. Mm-hmm. How I like do you, that album. How do you personally feel, though? Like, would you... Or, or like, or for this example, for this George Michael thing, like, would you be ready and waiting for it? Yeah. Yeah, I think that if... Uh, again, if someone's trying to get away with something, I'm not down with it. But if uh, if it's there to be released and if it was his uh, intention, whether written down or not, then, I, then I'm eager to hear it. Bits and pieces of scraps and stuff, that's not my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's finished and... And they got the go-ahead from someone official. Mm-hmm. Then I just don't want it. I wouldn't. I don't like the idea of the artist being uh, exploited in a way that they wouldn't have done it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You I'm know? down with that. Cool. Uh, thanks, Sharon. Hey, thank you. Our music editor, Sharon Hyland, and of course, you can listen to Sharon and I host our podcast, Nineties Now, where we give you the fix of all the fix-ins, if you will, <laughs> of all things ninety and all things now. You can do so by checking out nineties or of course on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. The Kelly Alexander Show, bringing you fresh sounds like this. She sounds amazing. That is Miss Mariah Carey, the best-selling female artist of all time, back with a new song called With You. And if there's any doubt about the state of her voice, there shouldn't be because she sounds fantastic. If you didn't know better, you could take this song and compare it to her 1990 debut album and they would be very similar. She sounds great. And uh, she was back performing on the American Music Awards this week, doing her thing. And you know what? We are waiting for this new single to be the start of something great. A new album is supposed to be on the way. We're just waiting for the release date. That is Lady Gaga with her new best bud, Bradley Cooper, from their film A Star Is Born. The soundtrack is out. Lots of buzz, not only with their on-screen chemistry, but their musicianship together. So this is a duet that they uh, put on the soundtrack. There's a bunch of them, actually. This is called Shallow. The song was written by Lady Gaga and her longtime collaborator Mark Ronson, as well as two other writers. And guess what? Lots more amazing artists on the soundtrack as well, including Mark, Julia Michaels, and Laurie McKenna. I've been looking for the rest of my life. Me took a polar ride. You 
Absolutely digging this new song from English DJ, producer, and songwriter Jonas Blue. Oh, yeah, he's had a, an amazing couple of years, and he's now back with a song called Polaroid, featuring One Direction's Liam Payne and Nashville star Lennon Stella. This is perfect, especially if you're heading off to the gym. Make sure you put it on your playlist. New music on The Kelly Alexander Show. Time now for our chat with rising pop artist Gabriella Geneva. Gabriella has moved to several different countries throughout her life, including the UK and Canada. Currently based out of Toronto, she's recently released a new single called You Were Right and is here to talk all about it, as well as the journey that she is on with her burgeoning music career. Gabby, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you so much for having me. So I understand that you moved around quite a bit uh, your entire life. Do you think that all the different places that you've lived have influenced um, who you are as an artist? Definitely. I think as an artist, as a person, I grew up in Eastern Europe, so music is very much part of the culture there. And it's, uh, it's when we moved to England, I didn't necessarily have a chance to explore it too much, but I still very much held on to that. And then when we moved to Canada, it was, you know, it's a, it's a country that really sort of, um, embraces different cultures and, and different things and, and I, I found myself you know really embracing the western and the and the eastern at the same time so I would definitely say there's a lot of um, even in the instruments that I want in the songs um, there's definitely a lot of influences. I have to say that your accent is so slight like you would never know that <laughs> you're from eastern Europe like how did that happen how were you able to sort of like I, for lack of a better word not that you needed to but like tone it down. Well, when we moved to England, I was nine. So okay. when you're young, it doesn't really stay. So I think I just basically grew up having just an English accent. And then when we moved here, I've been in Canada for about almost 11 years now. And it's just morphed into this Canadian, British thing. But now that you hear it, you're not going to be able to unhear it. <laughs> well, I think it's cute. So keep it up. Um, Thank you. So talk to us about how, like, do you think that because you moved so many times as a kid that helped you maybe fall upon music for some reason? Like, because maybe your life was a bit unsettled in ways? Um, I think it just solidified um, in my mind how much I did really want to do it. Because uh, I don't remember who I was talking to the other day, but we move around so much and being uprooted so many times is, is incredibly difficult. And especially, I can't even think my parents were in their like late twenties, early thirties. So being uprooted then is even more difficult, but my brother and I, we were all uprooted two or three times. And by the time that we ended up in Vancouver, you know, I was like, no, I'm never moving again. I want to like grow my roots. This is it. I don't want to move ever again. And then last year, um, I came to Toronto for Canadian Music Week and I fell in love with it and everything drew me to, to be here. It was like everything in my body. I was like, I have to, why am I not here? And I never thought that I would be the one making the decision to uproot again because right now here, I'm, I'm here without my family. I'm just here with my boyfriend. And so it just solidified in my mind that even though I honestly, I genuinely hate moving, I moved here because... I knew I had to, like, it was just the next step. And, I, and I, I'm so happy to be here. So all the moves helped, for sure. 
That's fantastic. Now, I actually wanted to ask you because, you know, usually if people are in Vancouver, I find at least Mm -hmm. artists, a lot of them either like stay there. I know that there's a lot of artists from Montreal that move to Toronto. And I know that there's a lot of artists from Halifax that move to Toronto. But I guess I don't often hear of people moving from like Calgary or Vancouver back to Toronto. So like, what do you think drew you to that city? Honestly, it it was the energy. I I remember uh, just getting off the train at Union Station and stepping out onto whatever street that is. I think it's front. Yeah. Um, and just immediately, like I've never experienced anything like that. Immediately, I was like, whoa. I I just felt this this just being drawn to it. And then you know, over the course of the following two weeks, just at every corner there was something. You know, there was. I, you know, you meet someone or you speak to someone and everyone seems to be super excited about, you know, going to shows and seeing music in, in small, you know, hole in the wall venues. Everyone's excited to, to go. And there's always something happening. And I remember, I know so many, so many people are going to hate me for this, but I remember going to LA and stepping off the plane and it just not being as overwhelmed. I don't know what, what it is, but I just stepped into the city and it was immediately I was in love. That's amazing. That's amazing. Because usually, again, that's usually my next step. If I speak to someone from Toronto, it's like, oh, they moved to Los Angeles. So the fact that you were like (laughs) underwhelmed by LA, that's like, that's really interesting. And it's funny, because I'm always when I interview a lot of artists, I I actually delve quite a bit into where they're from. And and especially if they've moved or whatever, because I just find it does play a part in the music and the artistry. And so when it comes to how would like your sound, how would you categorize your sound? Because it's easy to say pop, but like, is it pop? Is it R&B? Do you have your own definition of it? I would say, oh, that's a tough one. I want to say culture pop, but that seems to uh, uh, melting pot pop. Okay, I like that. That's good. I've never heard that before. So we'll go with that. So I wanted to ask you next about the um, the new single. You were right. Mm-hmm. I've read that you sort of described this song as the perfect song to reintroduce yourself. So what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Well, I I released, I think my last release was uh, over a year ago. I think maybe two. And I really, I took the time since then, you know, with the move to Toronto and everything, I just took the time to write a lot. That was everyone's advice. Just like, write, 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 write a lot. And I, I have been writing since day one, but I guess not as much as I have in the past year. So I think I just, I just took the time to, to do that and really develop exactly what I wanted to say. And I think this song is, is perfect in the way that musically speaking, it blends everything together exactly how I wanted. And, and, the message in it is exactly what I wanted to deliver in, in the exact way. So I think it's a perfect step back into releasing music. And I, I really hope people like it. <laughs> I'm sure they will. Now talk to us too about the people behind the song, um, because we've read as well that the team uh, behind you has done songs for Selena Gomez, Justin Bieber, and Nelly Furtado. So how did you end up hooking up with these people? Um, so it was kind of serendipitous, if that's the right word to use, but... Uh, so the people behind it are Rob Wells and Shoba. They're part of the um, fourth floor writing team. And I had a, a mutual friend in Vancouver who had told me to connect with him um, probably about a year before I moved to Toronto. And knowing his, uh, knowing Rob Wells' uh, sort of repertoire, at the time I didn't, I didn't reach out because I just thought, you know what, 
I'm no one. I'm going to get lost in the emails. It's going to be, I just didn't. And then when I moved to Toronto, um, during Indie Week, uh, my manager and I, we were, we decided to go to this uh, songwriting, kind of like a workshop, not necessarily a workshop, but there was, you know, uh, a talk. And he was the guest speaker. And I never made the connection at the time. And at the end of the um, talk, uh, people were able to go up and perform a song. So I was immediately terrified because I don't know when I'm not mentally prepared to go up and sing. I'm like, Oh my God, my heart starts racing. My manager's like, no, you have to go up, go up, go up. So I went up and I sang and we sort of chatted with uh, Rob at the end of it all. And, you know, he was, he was like, you know, I, I really enjoyed that. I think, you know, it was a small room and you still performed it and I would be happy to hear more. So I'm thinking, oh, you know, everyone says that, but you know, it doesn't always, get followed up on. But then um, we sent him a couple things. And about a week after that, I realized who, who it was. And I just, I just thought, you know what, we almost didn't come to this workshop. And the fact that we came and actually met in person, it was, just, I just felt very meant to be. And then a couple months after that, we were able to actually sit down and write in the studio. And just that, that entire day was crazy because the songs that he and Shobo wrote, like they made up the soundtrack to my teenage years, essentially. And to be able to sit in the room and write with them was, I got so emotional afterwards. It was, it was crazy. It was so great. That's awesome. That's such a great story. And, you know, speaking of the people that they have, have worked with, which we mentioned uh, before, like the Selena Gomez's of the world and Justin Bieber and Nelly Furtado, are you, like, when I say those names out loud, do you put yourself in the same vein as them or, or are you a different kind of pop artist? I definitely would say I, I relate a lot to Selena's music. I like the messages that she she puts out, for sure. Yeah. And I read as well that before you decided on, I guess, like really pursuing your, your goal of becoming a recording artist, you had thought about having um, like a career in musical therapy and social work. How did that come about? I just, I've always loved people. And I, I love interacting with people. I find people fascinating. I find uh, just like the human tendencies fascinating. And I I went into psychology after high school and just learning about the different, the way that the, the mind works is just fascinating to me. And, and I think music has always been a part of my life. So I was like, how can I, when I found out that you can combine the two, <laughs> I just thought, this is insane. I, I would love to do that. Um, but I think I was a little, um, I think just the institutionalization of, is that a word? Yeah. We'll of uh, <laughs> of uh, just the education system. I don't know. It, it, it it wasn't necessarily for me. I'll say it that way. I think there's um, definitely a lot of people that it serves going to school and, you know, getting your master's and all that. But it just, I just, I, I find I didn't function well in that environment. And I had a lot of friends who actually went to therapy. And as I, I think it's very, it's, it's critical therapy and, and all these program, programs are critical. Um, but I also found that in certain environments, when, when you go in to, to receive therapy or to talk to someone, it's not always an environment where um, you can be 100% open. Of course you can, but it's always difficult to, you know, to push aside the thoughts of, oh my God, am I being judged, this and that. Whereas I found if you think about going home and you're having a rough day and you, the first thing I do anyways, I go and I go on Spotify and I play a song that'll make me feel better. And in that way, like whatever the message in the song is, I'm a little bit more open to receive it if that makes any sense. 
mm-hmm. because it's not a threatening environment. So I just thought creating music and like reaching out to people in that way is also beneficial. So I just decided to go down that path. Joining us on the Kelly Alexander Show is European-born but Toronto-based uh, recording artist Gabriella Geneva. Make sure you follow her on Spotify. You can do that by just uh, you know punching in her name. And of course, uh, you can also follow her on Instagram at Gabby Geneva. I wanted to ask you with regards to some of your other upcoming songs, which I'm sure are headed our way at some point. Do you not only maybe speak about love, but like, uh, do you ever get into like political things? Will you ever talk about social injustice? Like, is that something? Because you seem like a really... Um, like a well thought out, like I would say, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, I just feel like you're very perceptive. So I'm wondering if you will like delve into other topics that might be of importance to listeners because of the world that we're currently living in. Thank you. First of all, Um, I think at the minute it's a very, I don't know. I don't always feel qualified to, to speak on political matters too much. All I can do is just give my own opinion. And even then, I tend to not be, I tend to be weary when it comes to, you know, making grand sweeping statements. Of course, I, I know what I believe is wrong and right. But um, when it comes to making grand statements, I, I, I'm weary. So uh, it has to be, if I, if I talk about it in a song, it has to be, um, I, I'm careful about it, mm-hmm. to be fair. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but I think in in the way that, for example, in the in the new song, you were right. I think I talk about sort of embracing, um, you know, my my crazy, if you will, uh, embracing sort of uh, this, or rather, not embracing the notion that it's it's bad for a woman to be, you know, passionate and loud and and all these different things. So I think in a way my personal experiences touch on some of the political issues or, you know, society's um, discussions right now. But so far I haven't written a song that's like very politically charged, if you will. And can we expect an EP or an album from you at some point within the next six months to a year? In the next year. Yes. Cooking up, cooking up something. Okay. That's great. (laughs) And uh, before I let you go, I did want to ask you, obviously it's, it's great who you were able to already work with um, specifically on the single, you were right. Are there other producers or artists that you would love to collaborate with that we can sort of put that out in the universe for you? Oh, so many. I'd love to work with Alessia Cara. Mm -hmm. She seems very real, you know, very down to earth. And I like, uh, I like the way her songs are very conversational. You know, she sings things that people would say, which I like. I write that way, too. And Drake. Yeah. Wouldn't any, everyone like to work with yeah. Drake? <laughs> <laughs> with Mr. Drizzy. Yep. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. All right. Too. Let's put those two out into the universe. And uh, have you met Alessia yet? Have you met her? Not yet. Well, let's put that out there. She's really sweet. I was able to interview her about probably a year and a half, two years ago. And she, like you said, she, she is who she says she is in her songs and uh, just a really perceptive young artist and obviously doing so great, um, I think being a great representation for young women and humans in general. So uh, I, hope you, mm-hmm. I hope you get to make that happen. And uh, last question, what would you like to leave my audience with? Like, what do you want them to know about Gabriella Geneva? Uh, just that... You know what? I'm all for embracing who you are. And um, this is also advice to myself, but also to everyone else. Um, just try not to question yourself. There, there are enough people out there questioning and, and uh, worrying. So I think if you've got to make the move, make the move. Follow your gut. And that's just the way to do it.
Perfect. It's been so great to have you on the show, and uh, we cannot wait to have you back. And anytime you've got new things, you let us know. Thank you so much for having me. That is pop artist Gabby Geneva. Make sure to follow her on Instagram at Gabby Geneva. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us on the program this week. And a big thank you going out to our guests, London Brown and Gabriella Geneva. Of course, a big shout out to our producer, Adam Brisson, for keeping everything on track. And of course, we'd love for you to follow us on all of our social media. You can do so by jumping onto our website, youtube.com slash Kelly Alexander Show. And of course, the main website, kellyalexandershow.com. Have a great week. You and I will chat soon. The Kelly- The Alexander Show.